For the month of September and October, we're going to be in a series titled, A Church Called Good. It's about rejecting the toxic culture of celebrity and consumerism that sometimes engulfs the modern church, and instead embracing and nurturing a culture of goodness. Appreciate you listening. Thank you, Russ. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all here this morning, and I'm honored to close out this series, as Russ just said. Um, I have really enjoyed the series, just like he said he has as well. I have experienced toxic church culture in the past in my church experience, and it has jaded my view of church. And so this series has been really healing for me to be able to walk through and talk about what God is calling the church to today in the 21st century. I know some other people have had similar experiences to mine where they have thought about the relevance of church, why we do church, why do we need to do church, based on what they have heard in the news about other churches, about other church leaders um, falling from grace. And so this series has been really, really good for us as a leadership team and as a community as we have walked through it. It has reminded me that God is calling us as a body of believers, as the global church, to evaluate who we are and what he is calling us to become. A group of imperfect people trying their best to follow a perfect savior. A church that is leaning into who God is and who he is calling us to be. Not what the culture dictates of us. A place of healing and hope. Before we jump in, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity today just to continue talking about what it means to be a church that is good, (laughs) a church that is um, the opposite of what the world sees a lot in the media and on the news, um, a place that you are calling us to be and a people you're calling us um, to do as we follow you. I thank you for this message today, God. I ask that I will just step back, that you will speak through me. That you will divide this message to everyone that hears and they will walk away um, impacted and wanting to have a closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this series, um, is, if this is your first time with us, is based on a book called A Church Called Tov. Tov is a Hebrew word that means good. And we are introduced to it in Genesis chapter 1 when, Jesus, when God is creating the world. And he says that light is tov, land and sea are tov, plants are tov, day and night, animals and birds are tov. And then in Genesis 1:31, he says, God saw all that he had made and it was very tov. The word tov means good. So God is calling anything that produces life and has and contains the potential for more life in it When we say good, that is what we mean. We mean God's definition of good. So we've been talking about what it looks like for the body of Christ to look more like Jesus by growing, as Russ said, in humility, empathy, authenticity, and service. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like for the church specifically to nurture Christ-likeness, to create a safe place for everyone to produce life in their own relationship with Jesus and to pass that same life on to others. Webster defines Christianity as one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. But I think that definition is incomplete, 
That is definitely where we start. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God in order to be saved. But believing is just passive. It is just the reality of knowing that something exists. That definition needs to be more complete by adding one who follows the teachings of Jesus. So a Christian is one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ and follows those teachings. Believing is passive, following is active. Believing happens in our mind, but following happens with our feet. It means we don't just believe he is who he says he is, but we obey what he tells us to do. So we don't just say that we are Christians, we look and act like the man that we say we follow. A couple of months ago, I heard a, I read a prayer request in the comment stream on Facebook, and it was someone who has contact with missionaries in Afghanistan, and they were praying for an Afghan Christian family who was waiting in their home to be captured and killed because of their faith. That story broke my heart along with so many other stories we have heard in the news the past couple of months. And I stopped and I prayed for that family. I couldn't imagine what it must be like to not be able to live out your faith in a safe way. And then after I prayed for that family, I stopped and I evaluated my own life here in America and the comforts that we have. And then I thought about this book. And I thought about how that family could not legally have access to this book or its pages without threat of death. I thought about the fact that this book, the Bible, is illegal or dangerous to own or obtain in 51 other countries in the world. And then I thought about how sometimes my Bible or Bibles sit and collect dust because I don't read them often enough. I don't open the pages outside of preparing for Sunday morning or doing my ministry job. I thought about the time that my Bible app notifications pop up and I swipe it away because I don't have time. But it made me think of the church as a whole and our thoughts on consumer Christianity over the past few years and how maybe we are where we are. We are in a a, a season of consumer Christianity because we have created a culture where dusty Bibles are normal. I don't mean reading your Bible just because we have been taught that is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to check it off a few times a week because that is what we are called to do as believers. But I mean reading the Bible because it teaches us about our Savior. It teaches us about the man that we follow. I have two books here, Church Called Tove, that I just showed you, and my Bible as well. This book is a book that was written over thousands of years detailing the story of a creator and his creation. The other book, Church Called Tove, just simply gives us information about how we as a church can be a better church and be the church that God is calling us to be in the Bible. But if I hold a church called Tove with the same weight as I do the Bible, then there is a problem. If I view both as suggestions or advice that I can take or leave, then there is an even bigger 
problem. However, if I read the Bible with an understanding that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit to guide me as a believer, to show me how I can become more like Christ, if I believe that it teaches me more about the character of God and reminds me about how he rescued and redeemed his people time and time again, and that he too will rescue me, if I believe this book is central to my faith, then it should hold more authority in my life than an advice column or a blog, more than an inspiration, more than an idea or suggestion that we can take or leave. If I believe this book is living and breathing, then it should have an impact on my heart and not just be information that I hear about from someone on a stage or a podcast that I listen to. The words in these pages should transform who we are. We should hear them, and they should propel us into a life of humility, empathy, authenticity, and service. It should make us look and act more like Christ. My prayer for us this morning is that the Lord will help us to fall in love with this story again. That we'll be drawn into the text because it brings us closer to our Father. Because I believe that falling in love with the God of the Bible is one of the first steps to how we grow in Christ-likeness. In order to know him, we must spend time with him outside of Sunday. By reading on our own and studying this gift and spending time with God through prayer because believing and following after our Savior is the core identity of every single believer. And today's topic is good churches nurture and encourage Christ's likeness, and that starts with leadership. Good church leaders nurture a growing and healthy relationship with Jesus first in their own hearts, in their own lives before they expect it of anyone else. Leaders of good churches must allow the words in the pages of scripture to change them before they expect it of anyone else. And in good churches, pastors are simply spiritual directors. Their job is to present those listening with the gospel in a way that encourages them to seek God more for themselves Monday through Saturday. So in simple language, the entire mission of the church, the body of Christ, those attending and its leaders, is to become like Christ and nurture others to do the same. I often wonder what would happen if we as a church began to measure our success not only by attendance, giving, or social media views, but what if we measured church success by how our members and listeners and attendants and attendees were growing in Christ-likeness? What would happen if we as the global church reimagined it as a school for broken people, for sinners, leadership on down, who are learning the way of Christ and following after him? And what if we all came to church expecting to hear a message that would propel us to change? What if we came not just expecting something inspirational or to check church off of our to-do list for the week, but what if we came expecting to grow in our relationship with Jesus? 
In the past five weeks, we have been walking through Matthew chapter 23 and looking at how Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's telling them that in order to look like him, they must do the very opposite of what the Pharisees were doing in that time. The Jewish people and the disciples had been taught that holiness looked like following the law like the Pharisees, but Jesus was setting the record straight that following him looked like life and not law. I don't know if you all fully understand the, the, the depth and breadth of this conversation that Jesus was having. I believe if anyone at that time had an iPhone with a camera or an Android, those are cool too, it would totally have gone viral because this is not something that was ever done during that time. Pharisees are certain, were certain that their views were correct and they are morally superior. They dressed in a certain way so that everyone would know that they were a Pharisee. They were morally superior. They thought that they had the right answers, that in order to be right in their standing with God, they must follow every single law. They were highly respected and their actions were very rarely challenged by anyone, especially in public. But Jesus was the answer that was standing right in front of them, and they didn't even know. So just a quick cliff note of verses 1 through 36 of Matthew chapter 23 that we've been in past um, five weeks. Here is some of the things that Jesus said to the Pharisees, the morally superior, respected religious leaders of their day. He called them hypocrites and frauds, said they were not living an authentic life. He said their good deeds had to be on full display and they had to make sure everyone saw them. They had to give to the poor, pray or fast in public because to them it didn't count if no one saw it. Does, does that sound like social media a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> They also wanted the best seat in the house. They had to be called rabbi. They loved being honored and sought out, sought out attention. But Jesus reminded them that we are equal as brothers and sisters and that the only cure for wanting attention and being prideful and arrogant was to serve one another with humility. They were giving their spices to the temple, but when neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness, they lacked empathy and compassion for those around them. He told them that they were turning converts into children of hell because they were focusing, focusing so much on the practice of works that they were negating the offer of, offer, offer of true salvation. He called them blind gods, blind fools, blind men, blind Pharisees, serpents, and a brood of vipers. He told them they were pushing people away from the kingdom instead of drawing them in. And then he says to the Pharisees, the spiritually elite, the keepers of the law, that they themselves would not enter the kingdom of heaven. They had it all wrong. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and they denied that he was even the son of God. I can imagine the Pharisees in that moment during this, during this speech to them. I can almost see the steam coming off of their head because they are so angry and furious. They felt disrespected. And this guy, Jesus, who claimed to be greater than Moses and said he was the son of God, how dare he be so bold as to challenge and disrespect them in front of all these people. But Jesus was not done. In verse 37, 
we see a bit of a shift. Jesus' righteous anger now turns into grief, and you can almost feel the tone change. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus concludes this message by mourning Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel and the home of God's temple. It was supposed to be a holy city, a place where God wanted to gather his people who trusted in him. He wanted to take them under his wing and keep them safe to help them grow in the understanding of who he is and to give them the gift of eternal life. But instead, every time God sent prophets to tell them the truth, they flogged them, they beat them, they stoned them. And they murdered them, rejecting the truth. And according to Matthew, this is the very last words that Jesus spoke in public. The last plea to turn hard hearts into flesh. I imagine Jesus doing the ultimate mic drop. But unfortunately, that message once again fell on deaf ears. And within the week, they would have Jesus nailed to a cross. Reading and listening to Matthew 23 over the past few weeks has made me evaluate my life as a believer. Do I live more like a Pharisee or a disciple? How do people experience Jesus when they are in my presence? Are they experiencing pride and arrogance or humility and hope? Do they experience a sense of superiority? Do people leave feeling lost and invisible or seen and known? Do people know more about my political views and affiliation than they do the story of how God changed my life? How he rescued me and how he rescues me every single day. Do they see me turning a blind eye to poverty, hopelessness, oppression, and injustice? Do you live more like a Pharisee or a disciple? Matthew 23 reminds us that Christ's likeness is active. It is doing the opposite of what the Pharisees did, is living a life of compassion, is extending grace, putting people first, telling the truth, promoting justice, and serving others both in public, and in private. It involves a life surrendered to God for the sake of others, and it is a desire to see others grow in Christ. We talked about the responsibility of church leaders to nurture Christ-likeness in themselves before expecting it of others. But every one of us who is a follower of Jesus is a minister. Everyone is gifted with the Holy Spirit to do a work on this earth. Oftentimes we excuse ourselves from ministry because we do not have a stage or a title or a platform. But you, every one of you listening, sitting in your seats, you are a 
minister in your job, in your home, at your school, at the grocery store. If you are a follower of Jesus, you represent him every single place you go and with every single word you type. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 4 through 6 tells us, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the law like the Pharisees, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the law binds, but the Spirit gives life. It brings hope, and it's through the power of the Spirit that we can be transformed. We cannot be Christ-like in our own power and strength, only in believing in and following Jesus. Can we live more like Christ and our ministry represent Jesus well in our broken world? Christ-likeness doesn't mean perfection. When I think of all of my many imperfections, I think of King David in the Old Testament who did so many great and amazing things for God, but he also committed adultery and had a man killed to cover his Two things that we think would make someone unfit to be a follower of Christ. But David did something. He recognized his failure. He admitted his sin. He repented and asked God for forgiveness. And after that, God called David a man after his own heart. The Spirit helps us to understand our specific situations. We read the Bible sometimes, we're trying to figure out how to help our child who is lonely or depressed or being bullied, or we're trying to figure out how God wants us to move forward in our marriage or, or how to, to navigate relationships with family. And we can't find those, those answers directly in the Bible, and that's why God said it is uh, prudent for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. And John 16, 7 in the Amplified says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do, if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him the Holy Spirit to you to be in close fellowship with you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and gives us the guidance that we need. He transforms our lives into a life of service, compassion, humility, and authenticity. A life that looks more like Jesus. If we have experienced Christ in our heads, if we have only acquired information about him, the Bible tells us that we will continue to live like a Pharisee, falsely representing Jesus. But if we have found God in our hearts, if we follow that information to transform our lives and move our feet, that is where the power lies. That is how we grow in Christ-likeness. Matthew 23 that we just read ended at verse 39. It says that every knee will bow. Whether believers or unbelievers, Pharisees or disciples, blessed, we will all say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. My prayer for the body of Christ is that we will continue to use the scriptures as a mirror to recognize our flaws that we repent of our sins and continue to turn to Christ as the head of our lives and the head of the church. 
we will consistently evaluate the way that we love, the way we do not love, and the way that we lead to make sure that we are not slipping into the ways of the Pharisee. Nurturing Christ's likeness and intentionally growing to look more like Jesus is giving the world a glimpse of our Savior. It is our life, one changed by the power of the Spirit, producing that same life in others around us. That is what is good, and that is what God is calling the church to today. A church called good. Amen. Let us close in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, I thank you this morning for the reminder of what it looks like to follow after you. To represent you as Christians, as believers, God, to, to do our best in our imperfections, um, to live like you have us live, to be open to minister to our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our community, to represent you well. And Lord, I repent for every way that I have misrepresented you to those around me. God, I thank you for your grace and your truth in guiding the church to be a place of healing and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.